So I have a, a pretty good friend, a friend of mine who lives in D.C. Her name is Alicia. And she did one of those um, stories. If you use Instagram or you may have seen now on Facebook, they have these stories, right, where you can watch little video snippets of people. She live cataloged a travel nightmare that she experienced earlier this week. As I said, she lives in D.C. So she was up in Long Island, just outside of New York City for a work trip. And she gave a presentation that was scheduled at night. So she knew that she was going to have kind of a long evening trip home and get back to her bed a little later than she wanted, maybe after midnight. She had scheduled a 10.05 train out of Penn Station in New York City. And so her first step to make sure that she got home no later than she wanted to, she decided to invest in the $50 Uber that would take her from Long Island to Penn Station, right? Because she wanted to make sure she got there on time. And she got into Penn Station at 10.01, Four minutes to spare, right? And she rushes in out of breath, and she looks up at the sign, and the train is 40 minutes delayed. Great. (laughs) She makes the best of it. And the train finally gets to Penn Station. She gets on it. And then she notices that when they stopped in Newark, New Jersey, they stopped for a long time, maybe 20 minutes. They kept going, and then they stopped in Trenton, And in Trenton, a helpful employee came on over the loudspeaker and said, attention passengers, the motor on this train is not working anymore. And we will not be restarting. But don't worry, we are sending a rescue train for you. Oh, great, a rescue train. She said, we all filed out of the aisle onto the platform. And in her little video, she said, now we're all standing around the station like it's the Hunger Games. (laughs) Or maybe like we're all trying to wait for the last seat on Noah's Ark. The rescue train showed up. They all got on. They kept going down the line until they stopped in Philadelphia. And in Philadelphia, a helpful Amtrak employee came on over the loudspeaker and explained that the train that broke down in Trenton was being towed to Philadelphia where the passengers would then get off the train and switch, and they were going to swap the engines out, and then they were going to get back on that original train that broke down, and that was going to take them to D.C. Of course. She got home at 5.36 in the morning, (laughs) and her, her last little message to us on social media was, Amtrak, I hate you. Good night. So how many of us have ever had any kind of travel experience like that? If you live long enough and you travel enough, you will encounter one of these minor travel nightmares. They're a hassle. They're annoying. But it is funny, right, how our attitude and our character, even our sense of how we are, can kind of shift when we're caught up in one of these sorts of nightmares. My friend Alicia is a very nice person. But she did not seem like a very nice person at three in the morning. And I probably wouldn't either. When we are kept from our home, when we can't get back to that place that is the place of rest and comfort and ease for us, we can get blinders on, right? I bet some of you, even if you've never had a travel nightmare like that, have sat in traffic like this on 422 or 202 or 76. I was in it this morning. And how many of us have maybe done or said something we weren't proud of? (laughs) 
yeah, some of you are being shy today, I think. <laughs> and some of us are being honest, right? Leaned on the horn, tailgated, maybe had a few choice words for the whole situation. None of that, of course, got us home any faster. But something does happen to us, I think. When we can't get back to that place, whether it's literal or whether it is more of a feeling, that place of comfort and ease where we can see the people we love. Home may be a physical home or it might be more of an experience. That feeling that we know of a place where we felt safe. That feeling of a time when everything made sense. It just made sense. That feeling of having things figured out. Of knowing how we could predict what would happen. We long for that sometimes, don't we? We long to go home again. This hits us on a personal level. It can also be a communal kind of feeling. We knew that in our community this summer. We experienced something we didn't expect, being displaced from this location. And for a while there, really not being sure whether we'd ever be able to return back here. But we know what that feels like together, as well as personally. And we also, I think, know what it feels like on a cultural level. Wanting what we had again. Actually, wanting what we had again is kind of having a big moment right now. You may have seen hats like this one. You probably have. Make America great again. Wanting something Again, something that's kind of amorphous. And we are struggling as a culture right now with this idea very mightily. Our own personal sense of longing is part of it. Right? We can have a longing for something that we personally want to return to that can be so deeply wrapped up in our hearts, so close to our own sense of self. But the trouble is when we try to make it return, that's not personal anymore. That's communal. When we try to create something again, it impacts everyone else and it becomes collective. The again that you or I or any one of us might wish for, that could be stifling and oppressive to someone else. The again that you or I or anyone might wish for, that sense of safety perhaps, may have been purchased at the expense of someone else's safety and well-being. We were just as capable of making mistakes then as we are now. And when we remember that, we often realize that that illusion of a perfect home to return to is just that. It maybe never was real in the first place. 
throughout my life, I've always been a bit of a Saturday night, Saturday night live watcher against all the trends of my generation. I like it. And it has been getting me through the last couple of weeks to find ways to laugh when things in the news have been challenging and more so, I think, just challenging for a long time. There's a lot that we could talk about, actually, with one of the guests on Saturday Night Live, I think now three weeks ago, Kanye West. He was the musical guest a few weeks back, and he's been in the news since. I won't say too much about Kanye West because I don't know too much about his experience. I do know that he has said he struggled with mental illness and then said he was misdiagnosed. And I also know that when he performed on Saturday Night Live a few weeks ago, he wore one of those hats, the Make America Great Again hat. Surprisingly, of all the commentary about Kanye West those last few weeks, I actually think this guy cut to the heart of it. Pete Davidson, one of the comedians on Saturday Night Live, not a uh, great thinker out there, right? And he did a bit on Weekend Update full of jokes about what that experience was like having Kanye West on the show and him wearing that hat and giving a speech at the end. But his last joke, which was really a play on his main point, was that instead of that MAGA hat, that Make America Great Again hat, he was going to start wearing this hat that says, Make Kanye 2006 again. (laughs) 2006 was a great year for Kanye West. I remember. I remember that was the year that he put out Through the Wire. That's a great song. Workout Plan. That's a great song. All Falls Down that he wrote with Lauryn Hill. Excellent song. He was having a great year. But we know that he can't do that. We know that we can't make Kanye West 2006 again any more than we can make America great again. We know that that might be a pithy line that touches us in some way, that resonates in some way, but that it doesn't actually make sense. I want to invite you all to do something for a moment. Put your own name on Pete Davidson's hat. Make you 2006 again. Take a minute even if you want to close your eyes and focus on it. Where were you? Twelve years ago. How old were you? Were you married? Were your children born yet, if you have any? Did you have the same job? Did you live in the same place? How have you changed? What are all the things that have happened in these last 12 years in your life that have made you who you are today? You can open your eyes if they're closed. Now, I know I just asked you to call up a whole lot of memories. But if you can, give me the one-word answer to this question. Would you want to go back? Whoa. (laughs) Any yeses? Yeah. Any it's complicated? (laughs) Yeah. Twelve years is not a very long time in the grand scheme of things, right? 
We don't think of 12 years as eons, a lifetime. We think of that as a pretty short slice of time. But as you may have just realized, a lot can happen in 12 years. 12 years ago, Wellsprings wasn't here at all. We'd never been here before. We didn't have our first worship service till 2007. None of this was here. 12 years ago was the year that I actually became a member of a church for the very first time in my whole life. So uh, things have changed for me slightly since then. (laughs) 12 years ago, this country had never had a black president. 12 years ago, that was not part of our reality. 12 years ago, there may be people who were a big part of your life who are no longer here. There may be people who were part of your routine day to day 12 years ago who are gone now. And there may be people who are now wrapped around your hearts in ways that you can't imagine life without them, who you didn't even know existed, who may not have existed. How many of us have kids or grandkids who were not born 12 years ago? They didn't exist. Twelve little years. There's even more in our stories here, I'm sure, that I don't know about. You may have had a whole dream that was born or died or both in the past 12 years. There may be new pieces of your life and you that have unfolded. There may be old stories that you finally let go of. This is one of my favorite pieces of art that I've ever seen. This little illustration on the left an outline of a person with some swirls in their heart and their head and a few leaves on their crown. And they're saying, you've changed to this other person on the right who has swirls covering their whole chest and their arm and their whole neck and their whole head with a huge growth of flowers and leaves. And that person's saying, I'd hope so. from inside of each of us. The story of how we've changed, we know so intimately. It just can't be anything but true to us because we've lived it. It's not always that apparent to everybody else. And I know that even though I asked us if we'd all go back if we could, we know that that's not a relevant question, right? It's not possible. That phrase that I took the title of this message from, you can't go home again. Can't go home again. Sort of means you can try to return to some place you remember from the past, but it won't be the same. Maybe because it's changed and maybe because you've changed and probably a little bit of both. It can be sad and hard that we can't go home again. And maybe your home was not the place that you felt safe. Maybe your literal home is not what you imagine when you think about that. But there is some feeling that we probably have somewhere in our lives. A person who loved us a community of friends that has spread out all over the country, 
a time in our lives, a phase where we were in a school or a particular workplace, a sports team, a band, just a a group that came together for a season in our lives, and that season's time has now passed. Maybe home for us is some adult, some person who loved us a little way into becoming ourselves when we were still trying to figure it all out. And they are gone now. So it is hard enough already to not be able to go back to that home again. But unfortunately, that difficulty is only made worse if we resist the loss. If we try to bring that exact feeling back again. Resisting those roadblocks that keep us from home, well, that turns us into cussing aggressive jerks in traffic. Resisting this piece of reality that is forever out of our control, the passage of time, the fact that we all grow and change. We can try to do it, but if we do, we will end up sort of half living, half alive. The poet Mary Oliver wrote about this. She said, There is a thing in me that dreamed of trees, a quiet house, some green and modest acres, a little way from every troubling town, a little way from factories and schools and laments. I would have time, I thought, then and time to spare with only streams and birds for company to build out of my life a few wild stanzas. And then it came to me that so was death a little way from everywhere. I would that it were not so, but so it is. And whoever made music of a mild day There have been plenty of days over the past few weeks and months as things have been going on in our world and also as the accumulation of all those things has seemed to add up in my own head and my own heart. There have been days that I've thought about pulling the covers up over my head and staying in bed. That I've thought about tuning out all of that mess. And creating my own sense of focus on the good, right? Leaving behind all the troubling things and finding that perfect home, that perfect place where people are kind to each other and everyone is learning and healing and growing all the time and mental health care is well-funded and no employer exploits their workers and decisions are only made by the people that we can trust. I can create a whole nostalgic image in my head for things that were never true. And there's nothing wrong with that longing. That longing is actually one of our healthiest impulses because it points to what we believe is possible and what we know we deserve. And our lives are inescapably connected to the world. And to this world. Our lives matter to each other. And any change around us matters to us. From the big world out there all the way down to our closest, most intimate relationships. 
because those changes change us too. I picked up a book over the summer by a woman named Caitlin Curtis. She is a Native American and a Christian, and she writes about both of those things, about her experience of how those things intersect with our culture and also with just her regular day-to-day life. And at one point in the book, she tells a story about a dream that she had one night. It was a dream about this place, her grandma Dowling's house in Oklahoma, a big, beautiful farmhouse on lots of acres of land with a little shed in the back that was her granddad's man cave, his little space. She remembers all the big trees that her brother and sister climbed, the back porch where they ran around with their uncles. She said, I haven't seen that house at all since childhood. And yet all these bits of memories I have of it are tangled up and wrapped around my own heart. Both the things I remember and the things that come from outside sources, right? Family photos and other people's stories of how we played there when we were kids. It's all wrapped up together. And yet she also knows that some of what she carries from that old home lives in her own body, is entirely her own. The way she can call up the smell of biscuits that her grandma used to make. The warm way that she felt inside when her grandma would tell her, Caitlin, please don't sing at the dinner table. With this look in her grandma's eye that said, I love that you sing at the dinner table. At the same time. Caitlin said, I dreamed that night that my grandma's old house was back. Me, as an adult with my husband and my kids, a friend of ours in the dream had bought my grandma's old house and remodeled it and repurposed it to fit our lifestyle today. It was amazing. It was like this beautiful HGTV dream, right, where they busted out all the walls and opened the wide spaces wider. And in the dream, she said, they invited me in to see the newly remodeled space. And so I went and I walked through the door And I fell to my knees, crying. She said, I wept for my father's mother, who I can't see anymore. Who I hadn't seen for years before she died. I wept because I missed her. I missed her presence in that place. I missed her spirit, which I felt so close as a tiny little kid playing with the long strands of pearls on her vanity. I wept because I knew that in reality, the house isn't even there anymore. The house is gone, and the memories of my grandma and my granddad are buried in the dirt where the groundhogs live. And when Caitlin woke up from her dream, she was pissed off. She was pissed at God, she said. Like, excuse me, I didn't ask for that dream, God. Why did you put that dream in my head? I hadn't thought about that house in decades. She was pissed, but she was also sad. And that dream stayed with her the whole morning. She kept thinking about it, and as she did, new memories would come to her. The wasps' nests that scared her on the back porch and their buzzing sound the way Wheel of Fortune always played on the kitchen TV every single night, the side room that had that giant, buzzing, totally energy-inefficient extra freezer that held all the food to feed family over the holidays, 
with each new memory that came to her of a smell or a sound or a view. She realized that something about that place was so unavoidably gone. And also that something about that place was so unavoidably here. Present with her. Refusing to go away. Embedded in who she was. She said, I began to feel grateful for the fact that this loss and this sadness was also reminding me that Grandma Downing is still helping shape me, is still making me who I am even in this moment. That house comes back to see me in a dream and it can only show up and be with me by reminding me about its changing nature at the same time. We are all constantly being recreated and molded and formed and also constantly being sent back to find who we still are even after all these years. The change and the sameness, they're both here with us at the same time. Caitlin says the remembering can be painful and uncomfortable and we may not be willing. But it does help us realize that while we can't go home again, we are in a new home now. These moments, these ones, will be home again for us someday. Imperfect as they are, as much as they were then, and just as cherished and just as holy. Amen. And may you live in blessing. Let's pray together. God of the mystery, God of all that changes in ways that we don't expect and don't predict. God of our hearts that call back, that remember times that maybe never even were, but that more importantly remember feelings. Remember what it was like to be fully present, to be loved, to be with the people that we knew cared about us. May we find that same quality in these moments. May we remember that they were not only back then and past, but that they are with us still and can be with us again. For these prayers I've spoken out loud and for the prayers that each of these people carries on their hearts today, we say amen.